Turn in your Old Testaments to the book of Job, chapter 19 and verse 25. Job 19, 25. A very famous text. I know my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, yet in my flesh... I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. As we come to this Easter Sunday, we bring ourselves and all that means in the frailty of our humanity, in the things that frighten us, the things that are uh, greatly disturbing to us. And I think of of all the things that keep us up at night, probably the the greatest thing that we struggle with just over and over, and there's just more almost background noise in our lives from this struggle is simply the fear of loss. The fear of loss. We are worried deep down about what might happen, what might slip away, what won't happen, what opportunities will be lost about the loss of people and things. From a recent article on the paralyzing effect of these fears that we carry around, it says, quote, Unfortunately, it is quite normal to fear losing many things, including a family member, a friend, other loved ones, to lose our good health, to lose our looks, to lose a job, to lose a relationship, to lose our perceived status or the respect of others or the loss of the dream of how our lives should be. Quote, when we fear losing something, we try to attach ourselves more tightly to it and it becomes more intense in our focus and less focus upon the risen Christ. And hence, the droning, daily droning of concern in our minds and our sleep-interrupted nights. Welcome to the human race. If you worry about how things will go or not go or what might be lost, and truly we don't deal with loss very well when we suffer loss, Very often, people end up more fearful than before. They end up fearing what else they might lose in addition to what they have suffered. And there are people here this morning, right here in this sanctuary, who have suffered loss. And because of it, you know that you feel frozen You know you are afraid of even more loss and everyone here brings the struggle of, of fearing the loss of something, that life will not go the way we would like for it to go, that opportunity will slip away. And if you put together the top ten list of all the people in the Bible who experienced incredible loss and lived to tell the tale. This man, Job, would definitely be in our top three, would he not? I think most of us would put him at number one, don't you think? 
I think most of us would put him at number one. You see, we don't really know a whole lot about Job. He lived before Abraham, somewhere in that window, but before Job is the oldest book that we have in the Bible. Uh, What we do know about Job from the prologue or the, the first part of Job has to do with the fact that Job was very wealthy. Job had flocks and herds that were just multiplied beyond other people. But more importantly, we understand from the prologue that Job was a godly man. We learned that he feared the Lord. We learned that, that he is blameless before God. He is very careful in his walk with the Lord. He has a very dear heart for God. And I'll skip down to, and you can read later, there's a lot in that first chapter that you'll read later if you, if you like. But I'll skip down to one day when Job got up. It's just a normal day, like any other day. He got up. He ate his Wheaties, had to put that in there, and then he went to work. And we read in Job 1 and 14 the calamity and the dramatic multiplied loss that Job experienced that day. Job 1 and 14, a messenger came to Job and said, The the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing. And the Sabaeans attacked and made off with all of them. They put the servants to the sword, and, and I'm only the only one who has escaped to tell you. So all his oxen and his donkeys are all gone, and the servants are dead. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up all the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Now the sheep are gone, and other servants and relationships are gone. Verse 17. While he was still speaking, this third, second one was speaking, another messenger came up. The Chaldeans, who would become the Babylonians later, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on all your camels and made off with them They put all your servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And while the third one was still speaking, yet another messenger came and delivered the most devastating message of all. Your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house and it collapsed on them and they are all dead. And I alone escaped to tell you. Now that is loss. That is loss. And no sooner does this happen and there's dialogue between God and Satan... And suddenly, Joe, after all of this, loses his health. And now he has great boils and sores, and, and it's just so on fire with itching and pain that he, he's sitting on an ash heap in repentance with his clothes torn in agony, and he's with a piece of pottery scraping his sores. It's awful. And then, if that weren't enough, He's got three friends. 
And his three friends come in to advise him. And the only advice they have is for him to look very carefully into his past because certainly there must be some kind of rebellion against God, some kind of sin against God that has caused all this to come down on Job's head. And Job needs to be introspective in the midst of his pain and he needs to dig up what it is. And Job has been blameless before God. And just as the third friend, Zophar, is finishing his talk that actually is not rooted in fact and is not helpful. By the way, if somebody's suffering, maybe the best thing you can do is just shut up and be with them. Just put your arm around them and pray for them. Maybe you don't need to try to explain God since you're not Him. And just minister compassion but no 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 Zophar helps him understand that it, it is all his fault and, and we could we could we could find this if we looked hard enough but just as the third friend is finishing his speech job suddenly i mean this may be the the lowest recorded moment in human history he suddenly at this lowest moment has by the power of god's spirit job loves the lord he has this flash of insight that just overwhelms him in the dust and ashes he is looking at all that has happened and he cannot change it you can't change the past he's looking at all that is going on right now and the devastation that he's left with and he does not have the power to do anything so transformative that his life will be radically different immediately this is look the sun's going to come out tomorrow. That song doesn't fit with this story. When suddenly, as his nose is just getting ground into it by his friends, suddenly he sees something that just changes everything. And, it, and it, we read in verse 27 when he sees this, and he says what he sees and what he knows to be true. We read in verse 27 that he says, my heart just yearns within me. And so he goes from this, this utter depth of humanity. He sees something important. Suddenly his heart is soaring and yearning within him and so Godward. Do you know what it was that he saw? Right there. In the Old Testament, right there in the oldest book, in the Old Testament, Job saw Easter. He saw resurrection. That's what he saw. And there are two things that I want us to see from, from Job's perspective of his loss and dealing with it and what his life would be going forward out of this loss there are two things that could just change our perspective as well if we would look and see the same thing Job did. Number one, I know my Redeemer lives. And number two, I will see Him. I know that my Redeemer lives and I will see Him. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. After all this happens, his wonderful wife, who is just the bane of his existence evidently, says, you know, Job, why, why even turn to God? After all this has happened, I mean, do you really think God loves you? Why don't you just curse God and let Him kill you? Just be done with it. 
Don't try to find any hope. Don't try to move out of this. Just curse God and die. And sure enough, it's pretty much time where he can either curse God and die or believe God and soar. And in the depths, he realizes he can't change the past. He can't transform the present. But he suddenly realizes there's another part of life that has not been addressed. It's not the past. It's not what's going on now. It is the future. And the future belongs to God Almighty and nobody else. And Job grasps this. And suddenly there is hope because Job understands who holds his future. And he straightens up and right there to his third friend, actually the three of them are there, he straightens up and he says, let me tell you something. I know my Redeemer lives. I know. And that that word there has to do with a real, deep, and abiding, experiential knowledge. I know in my bones more than I know my pain, more than how real my sorrow is coming out of every pore of my body. I know that I have a Redeemer who lives. And listen, as we come to Easter this morning, isn't it great? After Good Friday and just, it's resurrection time, it's new life. It's the future happening right now as as God has broken into time and space as the kingdom of God is among us and all that can be through the grace of Jesus Christ and relationship with Him as we come to Easter and all the stuff that has happened in your lives. A lot has happened in your lives. Some of you are absolutely stuck in the middle of your stuff and all the fear of what might happen or what might not happen, and how you'll lose if that does or does not happen. We need to learn from Job to look all the way to the resurrection and to know what that means this morning in our lives. Now, we might say something like this. Good Presbyterians. We might say, hey, look, you know, I know all this stuff's going on, but God is on the throne. God is sovereign. God is in control. And that is a comforting thing. I've known Christ since I was 19 and a half. I'm almost 50 now. I can't quite remember really what it's like. And, and, you know, with with technicolor memory to, to imagine that there's no God on the throne, to imagine that there's no sense of purpose, that there's no sense of actual love or justice Really grounded in the universe? Which is what I used to believe. But I'm going to tell you something. Right after the calamity, Job gets the sovereignty of God. You know the first thing Job says? First thing Job says is this. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gets the sovereignty of God. God is king. I'm not. The Lord gives. I don't understand it. I know that he is sovereign. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the sovereignty of God is hugely important. But I'm going to tell you something. More central than the sovereignty of God to our deepest comfort is this truth. In, In Job 19 and 25, that God is not only the sovereign. He's my Redeemer. He's my Redeemer. God's not just at the controls. 
God has initiated toward me. God has come out of his chair into this world to pay the price, the awful price that I deserve with my sin between me and a holy God. God's not just running things and spinning the universe like it's some clock that's been wound up and God's making sure that it's all going on time. No, God's not just sovereign. He is, but God is my redeemer. In fact, the Hebrew word here for redeemer, and those of you who are in the, my root study uh, last series of Wednesday nights will know this. He is my redeemer. The word in Hebrew, goel, goel. Now, goel, you know, you can't be a redeemer, a goel, an Old Testament, that's the word. You can't be a redeemer without sacrifice, without involvement, without initiation. The goel was the person, when you didn't have your land anymore, that would come in and pay the price for you to have restored to you what used to be yours. And it cost him, and it didn't cost you. The goel was the person, when you, you're, you died, and like, and like if I died... That, that he would come in and marry the widow so she wouldn't have to be a beggar or a prostitute. And, she, and, and he would take care of her children and he would restore all their property to them and continue the family name of the man who died. And it would be very costly for this redemption or this payment to happen, for everything to happen that needed to happen. Do you see? Job doesn't just say the Lord gives the Lord, takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. The flash of insight is, I know my Redeemer lives. He is my Redeemer. He loved me and gave Himself for me. Job sees his life in the hands of a Redeemer. Can you see your Redeemer? Can you see Jesus on Good Friday? We've had a great Holy Week at Highlands this year. And I loved Good Friday and the darkness that kind of covered the sanctuary and the darkness that covered Golgotha and the earth shook and the sun was blotted out and there in that darkness was that awful penalty that our Goel paid for us to have a relationship with God, for us to go free, paying the price to purchase our salvation. Can you see that? Well, Job says, it's not just sovereign. He's my redeemer. But he goes further than that, doesn't he? He says, I know that my redeemer, what? Lives. My, not God lives, not, but, the, but the redeemer, the one who actually would come and pay the price to go well. Job sees Messiah. Job sees Redeemer in advance of His coming. Job is able to see that God will come. He understands this and Job sees that the Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. And as long as He lives, He is able to give me that forgiveness. He is able to give me that love. He is able to give me that power. He is able to give me that peace. And as long as my Goel, Redeemer, lives, He will have the last word over my life and not these other people and nobody else. You might be under pressure right now. Maybe you're dealing with some kind of loss 
Maybe you're clutching on to something. You're in the process of losing it right now and it's just freaking you out so badly. And your stomach's just churning. Maybe you're terrified of something that's not going to happen or it's going to go wrong and you're going to lose. You might be tempted to just keep holding it tight. You might be tempted to just look inward and just hold it, hold it. Don't even look at your redeemed. You can handle it. I'm going to tell you, you can't handle it. It's It's going to come apart at the seams under your power. But do you know that your Redeemer lives? Turn to Matthew 28, verse 1, the text of the resurrection, of Easter. After Good Friday, after Saturday, the Sabbath, it is now Sunday. Matthew 28, 1, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on top of it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, meaning the one you saw die. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Time out. Several times Jesus said that he would be handed over crucified, and on the third day he would rise. Not only did Jesus say it, but the psalmist said it. Not only the psalmist said it, but the prophet said it. Not only did they say it, but right here Job is saying it. So let's go back to the text. This is Paul saying that Jesus Christ rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. Because He is the Messiah. He is the one. Do not be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen just as He said. Come and see the place where he lay or where he was. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead. He is now going ahead of you into Galilee. And you, there you will see him. Meaning, he is risen. Remember the place y'all used to be together all the time? Remember the place where you did most of your ministry? Where you ate together, slept under the stars together? Where you were discipled, trained, and taught? He wants to be with you there. He's alive. Go. Be with Him. Now I've told you, the angel says. Here's one of the understatements of the entire Bible. So the women hurried hurried from the tomb. (laughs) Can you imagine? The women hurried from the tomb. Mary Magdalene breaks the tape. Um, Afraid, yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell His disciples... And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. There they will be with me again. He lives. I know that my Redeemer lives, and he gives us life, and he lives to apply His grace and forgiveness to all who ask. He lives to empower us. He lives to lead us into the future that He alone holds. 
Job saw his Redeemer in the midst of our uncertainty. And life in a fallen world certainly feels that way, does it not? You and I can actually measure the love of God for us. You can't know what's going on around you. You can't know what it all means. But there's something we know. We can measure the love of God for us by the cross, by the Redeemer who has come, who got up out of His chair at the right hand of God, came into this world, died a death of of ultimate sacrifice once and for all for us. And the Redeemer is raised from the dead, and He has the power to raise us too. 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the redemption, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has given us new birth into a living hope. That's the kind of life Job saw he could live right now. I know my Redeemer lives. Secondly, He said... I will see him. I will see him. Verse 26 of Job 19. And after my skin has been destroyed, meaning after my death, yet in my flesh, meaning Job is talking about his resurrection at the last day before God and before the Redeemer. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. You know, I read this text. I bring my uncertainties and my fears to this text and I say, you know, I know that I not only have a sovereign God who's in control of the universe, I know I have a Redeemer who loves me and I know my Redeemer lives and I'm going to see him. I, not somebody else. Little difference between Christianity and Eastern religion, such as Hinduism and Buddhism. In Eastern religion, typically what happens is you work your way through the levels and then the goal of existence is to be absorbed into, quote, God. Absorbed into the world soul, you become a part of God. Not me. Not me. He's always going to be God. And I'm always going to be a sinner saved by grace. And I'm not going to zoop into God. I'm going to see Him with my own eyes because of the cross of Jesus Christ and no other reason. I'm going to see Him because He has given me new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is that not amazing? It is the goal of human existence. If you just wrote down what is the goal of human existence, it's the beatific vision. What's been called in theology that for millennia, the beatific vision to see God face to face. And I will see God face to face and any of you who have put your trust in what God who got out of His chair, the Redeemer came and did on the cross for all who would receive it. You will see God. And He will love you. 
forever. The early church, different from the Madison Ridgeland, Greater Jackson Area Church of 2012, the early church was always under pressure. The early church was always going to jail for their faith. The early church, they were always getting killed by one group or another just for preaching the gospel of grace and no other reason. They weren't in power. There was no Christian government. There was a Roman government. All they did was hold out the love of God. And they were killed. To be a Christian at that time meant that you know somebody who had been killed. To be a Christian at that time meant you know somebody was beat up, you knew somebody lost their job. These people loved Jesus. Dearly loved Jesus. They'd hide in the underground like they do today in places where it's very similar to the way it was in the first century. The early church had two emphases that we just have seemed to have lost in our personal lives. The first one was the whole idea of creation and the comfort that comes from knowing that God is a powerful God in creation. Most of the apostles' prayers in the book of Acts start with a delineation of the power and majesty of God in creation and finally gets to, oh yeah, by the way, God, we're being troubled by these people. Meaning, you're so great, you are in charge over all creation. I know you can run our little lives and you can run your kingdom and we are yours. But second was the doctrine of the resurrection. Oh, they, they always talked about the resurrection. If you read the, the sermons of Peter, if you read the sermons of Paul, it all comes down, does it not? It all comes down to, and Jesus Christ showed himself to be that very one by being raised from the dead on the third day and has appeared to us and appeared to so many other people. It is in the resurrection that a, a Jesus who is alive can apply all that he has won on the cross and a dead Jesus can do nothing. But you know, they didn't just emphasize Jesus' resurrection. The other resurrection that they emphasized over and over is what we call the great hope. The great hope isn't just that God's going to give us a preferred future on earth. The great hope is our resurrection at the last day. To be raised in newness and in new body, in new heaven, in new earth. To be with God after my skin is destroyed, yet in my flesh resurrected, I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Those things that are fearful to you now, those things that you believe are a problem to you in the near future, our Redeemer can work in all those things. He will work good, whether you realize it or not, to all those who are His called, all those He loves, and we can trust Him. And regardless of what is ahead, folks, because of His resurrection, we will be with Him. And He will be with us. And that is the difference that Jesus makes. And we will not only be with Him now, 
but we will be with Him in an eternity of unspeakable joy and radical peace in His presence. In His presence. John 6, 40. Jesus said these words, For my, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Isn't that wonderful? Whoever believes in me shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Remember the early church, how they encouraged one another? It may be bad now, and maybe it's going to be bad ten years from now. We're not in charge of the past. We can't transform the future, but, but the, the present, but we can trust God now and we can trust Him to work the future for His glory. You turn to 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16, and it's just one of the most wonderful sentences, a tagline that tells us so much about the resurrection and what it meant to the early church. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Maybe that's me and you. Can't wait. After that, we who are still alive and are left. Maybe that's me and you. Can't wait. Maybe, uh, sorry, after that, we, we, there's no maybe about this. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them, the dead who have in Christ who have risen, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And here's the tagline. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Isn't that amazing? You want comfort? You want encouragement? Then say, I know my Redeemer lives. And when my flesh is destroyed, yet I will see Him with my own eyes. I, not another, will see Him. How my heart yearns within me. This is where our fears meet Easter. And Easter wins. In the midst of one of the very lowest moments in human history. Job looked up out of the past, away from the present tense, and saw a sovereign God who gives and takes away that He blessed. But more than simply sovereign, a Redeemer who had gotten up out of, who, got, who, would, who would, in His case, get up out of His chair to come into eternity, to die and rise and give life. And his heart soared. I want to read our text just one more time, and then I want us to do something together as we leave the sanctuary this morning. Hear Job's words in this flash of insight. I know my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Now in the early church, they not only comforted one another with 
what Paul said about being caught up in the air on Easter. And during that time, when they would see one another and in worship, there was a a greeting that has been passed down to us through the generations. And it went something like this. He is risen. And the response was, He is risen indeed. Meaning, yes, I get it. That is, that is every indeed. That is everything. He is risen indeed. So you ready? Let's echo the early church and echo Job and bring our fears to God and see all the way to resurrection and know what that means both now and in the future. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Lord, thank you for that resonating indeed. And we pray, God, that you would help us to see your mercy. We don't know why you did it except for love. We don't even know exactly what that is except it's sacrifice, it's giving, self-offering. Thank you, Jesus, that you left your chair your throne in heaven, and you came into this earth to be our goel, to purchase our salvation. If you have never put your trust in what Jesus has done, if you're trying to save yourself by any means of your own works, of your own righteousness, to somehow accumulate enough to be acceptable to God or be absorbed into God, but you see it. You see it and you you want what Jesus has done. You just pray with me, Lord, I see it. I am amazed. And I cannot get fast enough to the cross. And I want to turn away from everything I've called religion. Everything I've called Christianity. And put my trust, Jesus, in what you've done on the cross for me. And that it is finished. And nothing can be added to it. I simply receive that full payment, that full redemption. Lord, thank you that even now you've come into my life, you've forgiven me. Lord, would you help me to quit holding things and fearing as I clutch things? Would you help me to not be so afraid of the future because I'm basing it on my past or even the present? Oh Lord, would you Help me to unclutch those fears and those things and trust in you. Lord, there are many of us who've walked with you for so many years. But truly, as you look at our lives, you, you see that sometimes we are very low. Sometimes we are called up short and almost surprised by the level of fear and desire for control that, that we feel and we exhibit in our lives, before your face. Lord, would you help us see all the way through the resurrection that you indeed, we are raised with you and you're with us. And even for eternity. Lord, would you help somebody who's paralyzed by fear here today to accept your love afresh, to acknowledge that new birth you had given them afresh and to move trust from themselves to you.
Thank you, Jesus, that you've never broken a promise. The only ones not fulfilled are those that are yet to be fulfilled, but never broken. All your promises are yes and amen in you. Oh, Lord, we pray that as we go down from this sanctuary, it would be as the early church with those that that have the, the song of your mighty power, your transcendence, and the love that never leaves us through the resurrection. Would you give us that sense of yourself? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.